Hello and welcome to Star Wars TV Pod, the podcast covering the news surrounding Lucasfilm, some reviews with Star Wars Resistance, and overall preparing the way for the live-action show known as The Mandalorian. To help me today, as always, is John. John, how are you doing? Feeling good. Feeling ready to talk a little bit of Star Wars Resistance. As am I. But before we get into that, we had some news drops since our last podcast. It seems like that John Favreau is just all over Instagram. We see that Lucasfilm has, I guess, just ignored everyone's demands because so many people, the entire fan base, wanted Kathleen Kennedy out of here. And we just always thought that she was going to be out. But it turns out that she has a new contract. John, what information do you have on Kathleen Kennedy? Oh, well, nothing that isn't, you know, stated in the official Disney press release. But I will challenge you on one point. I don't think the entire fan base wanted her out or it was a foregone conclusion. I was never on board with that idea. There was a small vocal minority that was beating the drum of ousting her just because of the irrational hate surrounding The Last Jedi. But, uh... I think when you're talking about billion dollar franchises and uh, entertainment corporations like Disney and Lucasfilm, cooler heads prevail and you don't dethrone uh, someone at that level (laughs) uh, without it being the absolute right strategic move and, you know, completely vetted, thought out. You need to have your uh, migration strategy in place for the, you know, the incoming executive. So there was nothing supporting any of that at any point. And uh, I think the real message in all this is to not be so quick to assume that these, you know, people in the know stories that are unsourced and just kind of provocative, but unsubstantiated need to be given any attention because, you know, (laughs) it, it really just all kind of issued out of one sort of like off the cuff report that a lot of people wanted to read into. And then as soon as they wanted to read into it, the echo chamber starts where everybody starts parroting it back and forth. And all of a sudden it seems like it has more weight than it does, but there was never anything to it. Turns out, Absolutely. Bob, yeah, turns out Bob Iger uh, was willing to fall on his sword and acknowledge responsibility for the timing of solo and some of the other high level decisions that have been driving the star mm-hmm. Wars productions. Uh, so with that now kind of firmly established as the official Disney narrative, you got to step back and realize, no, it it probably was never really a a serious consideration. I mean, they probably had to weigh all their options, but really it seems like Bob Iger understood from the get-go that maybe his uh, need to pump the gas and see just how much they could milk the star Wars franchise for was really the, the catalyst of, of all of this stupidity. And so uh, he was at least willing to not lay that at her feet or do some sort of like knee jerk reaction to save face. So, you know, it was a whole lot of much ado about nothing. And uh, I'm glad we could put it behind us now and just accept mm-hmm. that for the foreseeable future, Lucasfilm has an incredible executive <laughs> still at the yes. helm who I think has probably learned a few lessons along the way and is probably much better equipped to shepherd the franchise for the next few years. So that's and, the latest on that. 
And I'm, of course, just poking fun at uh, right, these right. Uh, guys <laughs> that remake the Last Jedi movement. That yes. Just to just assume that that the majority of fans are on their end, that we have to remake the Last Jedi, and that Kathleen Kennedy has to get fired because things are going downhill under her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that when the rumors first started, I. I kind of thought that there was some tensions there and that there was a conversation. I don't think that it went to the level of fix this or get fired, but I think that it was uh, from the point where she may have been sitting on a hot seat, but this does away with all that. Like this just shows just like, Hey, you know, you're making, you're making just millions upon millions of dollars. I mean, you, you look at uh, the toys that are being, that are being sold nowadays and uh, all the money that those are making. Of course, the movies, uh, the home releases even. I mean, even uh, these things are, uh, they're not doing, you know, quote unquote, the greatest in the theater. Um, speaking from Solo and The Last Jedi made a ton of money, but uh, there seemed to be, you know, a fan split on how it was received. Right. But, uh, you know, Kathleen Kennedy's doing a great job. I cannot wait to see what all she has in store and what all Lucasfilm is going to bring to the table in the next few years. Uh, but other than that, some news came about with some filming locations. So, John, what came out about the filming locations for Episode Nine and The Mandalorian? Yeah, uh, not a whole lot, but there are some uh, very dedicated uh, fan reporters <laughs> that mm-hmm. uh, were able to get some good intel and get on site to where they're setting up some of the locations for The Mandalorian. I guess some... Um, shots of Favreau himself there sort of doing some of the stage management and some of the prep um, are now (laughs) floating around. Uh, So it's happening. It it looks like production is even further along than we assumed. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just seems like it's full speed ahead on that production. And now that sort of the location is revealed and people are on the scene and interest is starting to heat up. I think we're going to start getting a lot more Mandalorian news in the coming, you know, few weeks right. as everyone kind of latches on and says, okay, there's probably a story here. We can probably start ferreting out, you know, who's cast and you know, what, what are some of the the broader storylines that we can discern from what we can tell from the sets and things like that. They're already assuming that maybe Tatooine is in the mix because they're seeing moisture evaporators or those mm-hmm. kind of planets, those outlying uh, wasteland planets. So we're going to see some of that kind of stuff, which sort of fits with the whole maybe yeah. Western tone that we're getting from the announcement that it's actually called the Mandalorian. And it follows a right. sort of a lone gunslinger type of character in the vein of Boba Fett. So uh, everything's starting to just come together and starting to uh, gel and news is trickling out and that's kind of where excitement starts to mount. So even though we've got just scant few <laughs> indications mm-hmm. of really what this is shaping up to be, uh, those indications are all very exciting. Yeah, and it, even the fact that George Lucas is on set, like yeah. I saw uh, John Favreau, <laughs> right. he just can't stay away from Instagram. He is so good at just giving fans these little nuggets and showing us that he himself is a huge fanboy of the property. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, having George Lucas there, who, of course, you know, back when they were going to create their show Underworld, which kind of sounded similar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they I, rumors are they had a number of episodes that had scripts and everything. And so you know, of course, rumors are coming out that possibly the Mandalorian is going to find ways to incorporate some of those, uh, at least themes. Uh, but you know, last we talked, uh, the news came out so fast that, uh, since the last time we talked, we have a title for the show. We have a, uh, you know, an overall plot for the show and some set photos, uh, set photos from, 
uh, of course, showing our main protagonist. Uh, that it, it all looks amazing. I mm-hmm. am hyped for this show. <clears throat> this show, I think, is going to be great. Um, episode nine, you know, stuff is coming out about that. Uh, it's a, it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it seems like we have officially sort of like opened the book on the next chapter. You know, we had this. Mm-hmm rebirth of star wars that started when disney acquired it and they laid out their roadmap for rogue one mm-hmm. and episode seven through nine and you know just all of the uh excitement that was going to come from re-ramping up the franchise then they pushed ahead with their strategy they had some wins they had some you know bizarre turn of events with some of the production some uh director right. turnover some not as well received <laughs> outings like the last couple so there's been a lot of uh sort of bumps in the road but now we're a few months removed from all that they've announced their next slew of projects which are predominantly television which is exciting because it's a it's a much um sort of like longer form way of of telling a story that star wars really just hasn't ever had a chance to explore so it it really is uncharted territory in a lot of ways we have a new animated show that just kind of came out of nowhere almost with how quickly it went from announcement to on air um and now we've got the mandalorian which looks like it's well underway and at some point in the next 12 months i'd be willing to bet you know we see the premiere of that one too so uh yeah a a lot cooking and it just kind of makes all of the the we'll just call it like the 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 youtube reddit drama of Mm -hmm. the last jedi and solo just seem like a a faint memory that is quickly sort of losing its potency as we start to get excited again about what's coming down the road yeah, and I'm more convinced now that we're going to get either a teaser or some sort of footage for The Mandalorian at Star Wars Celebration. Before, it was kind of like, you know, how are they going to get all this stuff done? But right. they are going so <laughs> fast. And the fact that they have been filming for a, a you know a decent amount of time, uh, I think we're getting something at Star Wars Celebration. Well, so. I don't know how much filming has taken place. Right. I don't think that they've actually started filming. I think what they're doing is building sets and basically ramping up production. They're they're getting all their resources right. into their shooting locations. Um, so what we're seeing is what they will be shooting on, but I don't think mm-hmm. that there's been any actual you know real footage taken. I don't think we've got actors on set quite yet. But gotcha. we're only probably you know days or weeks tops away from that because you know they're they're not building these sets for nothing if they're far enough along that they know the locations that they have finalized scripts that they can push the production forward with then yeah it's only a matter of time till they start and if they follow that game of thrones kind of schedule of of Mm -hmm. um uh, do the production work, get it into post-production. And then as post-production wraps on an episode, get it to air even before you maybe have the whole, uh, season in the can. If they kind of do that sort of like slow, uh, unrolling of the episodes rather than just sort of like a Netflix style drop, right. Then sometime in the next 12 months is very, very doable. If not sooner, It, it just really all depends on, uh, really when Disney thinks it's most advantageous to drop it. But four or five months from now, they could have a finished episode ready for us, which is very much in line with when we'd want to start seeing actual, you know, final footage, uh, teasers, Mm -hmm. trailers, sizzle reels, whatever they would want to drop on us. Maybe, you know, the first five minutes of the first episode or something, uh, celebration. So yeah, coming quick, coming very quick. Yeah. It's just so insane. Another thing that's come so quick is that when they announced that they were doing this star Wars resistance show, they said October, and I believe they said October 2018, but everyone was like, oh, he must have missed, you know, said that wrong. It's going to come out next October and all or come out in the fall. But it's 
it's here. I mean, we are four episodes in technically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's just get right into that. Sure. Let's do so it. So Star Wars Resistance is about an X-Wing pilot, Kazuto Izono, and his team who hijack a message from the First Order and are attempting to get the message to the Resistance. The team is then pursued by a skilled red tie slicer. In order to help his team escape so he can get the message to the Resistance on his own, Kazuto distracts the tie slicer, and in doing so, his X-Wing's engine is destroyed. In the last moment, the legendary pilot, Poe Dameron, saves Kaz and... Together, Poe and Kaz trick the TIE Slicer, causing it to flee by jumping to hyperspace. After the message has been received to General Leia Organa, Kaz is recruited by the Resistance, being ordered by Poe Dameron to spy for them on a remote fueling station. Kaz turns out to become a bit of a problem when he (laughs) boasts about being the best pilot in the galaxy, which results in him competing in a dangerous race. Kaz, eager to fulfill his duties as a resistance spy, ignores his orders from Yeager to lay low and continues to get into trouble with the scum and villainy that occupy the fueling station. (laughs) That is, uh, yeah, that is resistance in a nutshell. The at least the first four episodes here, yes. and we're counting uh, the recruit as episodes one and two because technically it was a two parter. Right now, there have been some discussion with the show already, and it's been out for you know about three weeks now. So let's go ahead and let's talk about the tone. Mm-hmm. So, John, in your opinion, how is the tone of Star Wars Resistance distinguished from the other Star Wars animated properties? Well, uh, if you were gonna sort of put it episode for episode against how clone wars started. Mm-hmm. Obviously this isn't a time of war. This is a much more right. casual affair being on this barge, you know, hanging out with these other flyboys working on your ships. It isn't as high stakes as clone wars where, you know, the very first minute you're thrust into, you know, a, a ground battle, mm-hmm. a space battle, you know, a stalemate on whatever planet it was. I can't remember what planet it was, but yeah, <laughs> you know, it's a much different situation when, um, Obi-Wan and Anakin meet Ahsoka for the first time from when Kaz, you know, meets Jaeger or whatever. Like they're, they're not really meant to be telling the same type of story. This is a calm before the storm kind of a story. So right. it's, it's much more lighthearted and jovial and a lot more, uh, Pratt falls and just silly humor, <laughs> you know, like right. the, the low stakes dart game that goes bad, that turns into a, yeah. a brawl at the cantina. Uh, this is meant to be a little more playful and a little more fun mm-hmm. than clone wars, which was trying to be as close to like a genuine war chronicle as mm-hmm. a kid show could be. Right. Yeah. And the thing that, that set the stage for me as far as tone is one, I knew it was going to be, you know, a lighter tone because they advertised it sure. this way. They advertised it, that it was going to be more geared towards the little children or even to, you know, the, the, uh, not just little, but that kind of younger crowd. Right. So the one, they advertised that. So I knew going into it. And then when it causes in his, you know, in the cockpit and his, he can't fly his plane and that tie slicer's coming at him and him and the droid are arguing about who's younger to die, like too young to die and all that stuff. Uh, So there's that, Uh, you know, of course it's going to be lighter, uh, a lighter tone because it is, you know, supposed to be that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the next thing about it is that you have 
like you said, the Clone Wars and even Rebels, where it's a time of crisis yes, for yeah. both of them. Yeah. This is not a time of crisis. Like the resistance is just, or not the resistance, the First Order is just now, you know, starting to gain traction. And the resistance is, no one even knows what the resistance is at this point. Like even, uh, even Poe makes that, or no, Yeager makes a comment where, you know, there's not half the people on that planet don't even know what the resistance is. Right. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, there is, there's not yet this clashing of the two sides that, uh, the cause has been thrown into. So, yeah, I mean, do you think that the show should have received some of the ratings that it's already been receiving? Uh, you mean like ratings as far as like what kind of audience it's appropriate for or ratings, like how many people are watching it? How many people are watching it? Well, you'll have to get me up to speed. I saw the ratings on Wikipedia when I was doing my yeah. prep, but I don't really know how that translates to a Sunday morning release type of Disney channel, you know, animated show. Like, right. are they good numbers? Are they bad numbers? What, what What's the picture that the ratings paint? I mean, the the numbers are worse than Rebels and Clone Wars started out. Sure. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and quite a bit lower. Uh to the point where I feel like I've read a few of them and some of the argument is based on the tone. Oh, you mean, okay. You don't mean like the viewership ratings. You mean like the reviews that have come out for it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I've kept myself completely virginal of any reviews. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going into this with only my own opinion. So right. I can't speak to that. So why don't you uh, continue on yeah. with that thought and just paint the picture of kind of what the general consensus is? Yeah, so you, we have kind of this this general consensus from the ratings that I think is affecting uh, how many people are choosing, you know, either when to watch it or if to watch it. Uh, and you have, you know, of course, on IMDb, which a lot of people look at, which I don't really trust as far as ratings, uh, because anyone could go on there, whether they've seen the show or not, and give it, you know, there's uh, the lowest one is at uh, four stars. And uh Four stars because, out of ten. Yeah, yeah. So four out of ten. And this is because two people, this is how affected, like how <laughs> much of an impact two reviews can make it. One review has it at five and another one at two. The rest of them are between seven and ten. Mm -hmm. But because you can go on to IMDb and view these, like review these things on your own. It lowers it so much, but this is one of the things. Like I've talked to people that are Star Wars fans that refuse to refuse to watch the show because they're like, "Oh, it looks like it sucks because of all the ratings." I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, like only nine people have actually rated it from your software that you are deciding whether or not <laughs> sure. to view the show. Well, this is the uh, trap that you fell into with the Clone Wars, right? You thought you were too cool exactly, for school yeah. and you were hearing bad things, and you know you missed out on several seasons of quality entertainment because you weren't willing to just make the leap and and decide for yourself. So you know what I have to say about all this? I have two things to say. First off, people should just go try it. What's it going right. to cost you? 22 minutes to decide if it's your cup of tea or not. Um, but the other thing is, I don't think people are going to tune into our podcast for a deep dive on uh, potentially gamed IMDb stats. I think they probably want to know what two hopefully generally affable nerds <laughs> that mm -hmm. uh enjoy the franchise what their take is hopefully you know yeah. kind of you know informed and maybe in line with the sensibilities of the larger fandom um so i don't know where we would want to go with you know a discussion of what the consensus is i think that just like the last jedi or just like solo 
people get into that kind of group think herd mentality mm-hmm. pretty easy, right? Like, Oh, okay. People are right. saying it's, it stinks. I guess that there's some serious controversy and I'm just going to stay as far away from it as possible. When, as we find out after the fact, it's usually, you know, a half a dozen malcontents that just really know how to play uh, Twitter and YouTube for all mm-hmm. it's worth. Uh, so I don't know. I just, I really don't have a whole lot to to weigh in on yeah. that. I, I got thoughts on what I think about the show, but I don't care what IMDB and, has to say. <laughs> and that leads us perfectly to my question for you, John. John, what is your favorite part of the show so far? Oh, okay. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to think on that for a moment because that's kind of a loaded question. There's characters mm-hmm. that I like but there's also just the general animation style that has yeah. some merit. Uh, there's always just the fun of cool vehicles that uh, little eight year old me would have mm-hmm. just salivated to <laughs> be able to unwrap one Christmas or something. So right. uh, this show has a lot of fun things uh, sort of like childlike wonder mm-hmm. elements to it that I think it has working for it. But if I'm going to just narrow it down to one, I'm really impressed with how good they've gotten at making 3D CG animation look like cell animation. I think that they've made some big leaps in that regard, Mm -hmm. figuring out how to shade it uh, in a less obviously CG way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I respect that. I appreciate that they, if you squint or just freeze frame it and look at it, you would think, oh, you know what? This actually looks like a cell animated anime. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Obviously, you know, it has a smoothness and a dynamic you know, movement of the camera that you'll never get with cell animation. So there's still a lot that gives it away, but once you stop thinking about it, the visual style mm-hmm. is very charming and it does harken back to the simpler time of the, yeah. um, you know, boy and his robot anime of yesteryear. So I really do find that aspect of it charming. The thing that I really like is like you said, these, these, uh, new ships or these new vehicles that are being introduced and kind of shown off here. It feels like something that George Lucas would have made. Sure. And, and I found myself with that first episode. I'm like, this feels like it's a George Lucas that it's, yeah, that it's, he's it's back in the on water. That's what um, it is. <laughs> and, and so I'm just like, you know what? I am loving this portion of it. Uh, and that's, that's kind of my critique is I wish there was more time, uh, of them, you know, in the ships. And I know that there, you have cause doing his own thing, but you know, that's just kind of me. I'm like, I'm super excited because I know that there's going to be more time yeah, spent exactly. in these vehicles. And so that has me anxious for the next episode and, and, you know, ready to get into this. But of course, like every show you have to, you have to have an introduction to right. some of these things. We're doing and some world building right now. And you have to have an introduction to some of the characters. So yeah. let's start talking about Kazudo. So Kazudo, he is, the classic good good guy. Um, he is a very Disney character. If you have to, you know, if you want to stereotype, he is a very Disney character. Um, but you know, Disney owns the property, so it makes sense. Uh, so let's kind of talk about this character's depth. So what do you think is going on with his family? So in episode one, it seems like he has some, uh, some daddy issues going on. Sure. Uh, yeah, this uh this is like kind of full house level um family angst, you know, <laughs> like yep. uh it's it's very immediately understood that okay, so him and his father don't see eye to eye much in the same way that maybe uh Luke and Uncle Owen didn't see eye to eye. Um maybe his father feels like he lacks character because maybe he mm-hmm. had a pampered existence and Kaz doesn't know how to sort of assert himself and be his own man and just kind of reverts into uh sort of a 
I don't know, maybe a, a little more codependent. Like his dad was right. assuming that he was only calling him because he needed something, a handout mm-hmm. like he always gets. So there, right. you know, there's some shades of sort of a dysfunctional family dynamic, but nothing too severe. Like <laughs> they don't like touch on maybe his dad having like some like, I don't know. Right addiction or something that has caused him to be like a bad or vacant father. Mm-hmm. So like they don't dig deep on it. It's just this general idea that Kaz needs to be his own man because he needs mm-hmm. to, you know, show his father that he's not that little boy that his father thinks he is. So very kind of lighthearted drama that they tried to infuse there. Yeah. And it's, it's such the classic setup, you know, with these, uh, you know, it's a, it's an ancient technique here or an ancient, uh, way of writing a character. They're always kind of undermined by their, you know, whether it's a sibling or parent and they're the ones that are destined for greatness. And so I think that we're going to see, of course, with this being a, a Disney property and for geared towards older kids, we're going to see Kaz do some amazing things, um, both for the resistance and just for his team that he's starting to build up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're going to dive deeper into what's going on with his family, both, uh, with the conversation he had with his father and the fact that he carries around uh, that little trophy thing from his sure. uh, his his good luck charm uh, from his home. And uh, he's quickly turning into a bit of a problem. He's kind of uh, what's what's the right word here? Um, he's kind of a klutz, mm-hmm. but uh, he's he's kind of like Han Solo, like. Getting in trouble all the time. Well, you're going to get in trouble for saying that. Uh, okay. Uh, expound on that because I, I don't know if I can so, get on board with that. Yeah. So so the first thing is that he's not intentionally doing something that's going to get him in trouble, but he's always, you know, finding a way sure. to get in trouble. Yes. He has an and act when for he, finding trouble. Absolutely. And when he does, I think he believes that he's better at talking his way out of things than he really is. Mm. Uh, and and both the instances where he ran into that that one guy who he, he was playing darts with, in both of those instances, he was just, you know, trying to finesse his way out of there. Like, sure. how am I supposed to pay you if my head's crushed? I can't do that. Uh, and just trying to get out of those things, it very much reminded me of, of Han Solo in that aspect. And he's he's not quite at the level of cockiness that han solo is but he's he's a bit he's definitely an optimist Mm -hmm. uh both with his own talent and with you know he thinks that he's just an optimist with the how the galaxy is going which solo doesn't become until much later on at least explicitly but uh yeah he's also this guy that always does the right thing and we had this conversation about han solo who you know, you were, uh, you came from the side that, you know, where Kira said, you're the good guy and you're going to find that you're always going to be the good guy, even if you try to run away from it. Mm-hmm. And even though Kaz isn't running away from being the good guy, he's definitely um, always doing the right thing. Uh, and, you know, it's very intentional that he talks about his uh, good luck charm as being so precious to him that he's not even willing to sell it to live this comfortable life. Uh, you have the a couple of the characters on that planet that say if he traded that in, he would live, you know, you know, penthouse level for a good couple of months. Right. But he's he's so uh, attached to this thing that he's not willing to do that, but he's willing to damage it to save someone else. Sure. Um, and so that's uh, that's kind of where I'm going at with the in relation to Han Solo. Not a mere for mere, but definitely some aspects that reminded me of him. OK, so. He's like Han Solo in that when push comes to shove, they both eventually manage to do the right thing. 
Right. Okay. And they both find a way to get in trouble. Sure. All right. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, I think there are many aspects of these two characters that are dissimilar, but I mean, that's exactly. Yes. Yes. Totally agree. An easy enough argument. Um, My take on Kaz is that I personally feel like he might be the weakest element of the show. I don't dislike him, but if I was Dave Filoni, Mm -hmm. he's not the character that I would have come up with. I feel like the way that they're painting him is as initially someone that was competent enough to go through the ranks of the new Republic Navy to the point where someone entrusted him with an X-Wing mm-hmm. um, and someone else entrusted him to deliver, uh, you know, whatever the resistance sympathetic faction of the Navy, uh, whatever, well, whoever they are, we don't really know much about how they got the Intel, but whoever that organization is entrusted him to deliver it to Poe Dameron. So right out of the gate, they're strongly suggesting that this guy is very competent and, I would assume shrewd enough that he would be in a position to take on a mission like this and do it successfully. And they show him being right. selfless by, you know, uh, hitting the tie slicer head on to let his friends escape. Like they don't paint him as an inept klutz with absolutely like no street smarts right, right. out of the gate, just by his circumstance. They mm-hmm. basically say that, you know, this guy has some merit, but then they flip the script on him and they make him, just sort of like (laughs) totally out of his depth, like no ability Mm -hmm. to read a situation or stick up for himself. Like so many of the problems that show up in the first few episodes could have been totally dismissed. If he just stepped up and said, no, no, that's not what I said. (laughs) You know, like that's all it would have taken to address some of them, but obviously for plot contrivance reasons that can't happen, but they show him as being incredibly bad at being a spy and yes. incredibly bad at holding his cover. Like every 10 seconds, he's ta- talking with Jaeger about, you know, his job as a spy and why, you know, like how he's out of his depth. Like spies typically don't spend that much time milling about the, <laughs> the mm-hmm. hangar talking about how they're spies. There's just a lot about his character that is contradictory with the notion that Poe Dameron would entrust him with this mission mm-hmm. in the first place. So because of that, I feel like the better approach for this character would have been He's a cocky flyboy in the Navy. You know, he thinks he's all that. And he gets into the real world for the first time, like on this barge. Right. Yeah. And he's knocked down a few pegs because all of his, you know, bravado and presumed awesomeness is now challenged in the real world where people are a little more grizzled, have seen a few things that he hasn't seen, just understand how the world works at a level that he doesn't. And all of a sudden he finds that he is out of his depth, but he has Mm -hmm. to kind of overcome that arrogance that he's had from being, you know, kind of like a star flyboy, sort of like Poe Dameron early in the, the movies, you know, it was alluded to the idea that what he has in starfighter skills, he kind of lacks in leadership or long range thinking skills. So something similar here where his arc isn't little boy, completely incapable of just managing the simplest of daily tasks. Don't let that be his starting point. Let his starting point be someone that needs to find a little bit of humility and learn some, some hard lessons being in the real world for the first time. And I feel like, they were grasping at that, but because they didn't start from the right spot with the character, right. you get a lot more childish hijinks and mm-hmm. slapstick and just bumbling buffoonery that I'm sure plays great for seven and eight year olds. But 
I think you can also challenge young kids to enjoy a character that is a little bit more sophisticated than that too. I right. think some of the best children's education doesn't pander, or children's education. I think some of the best children's entertainment doesn't pander. And I feel like this character is just maybe too heavily designed to be identifiable yes. by eight-year-olds as opposed to realistically being what a late teens, early twenties, whatever he's supposed to be, you know, like coming of age type of character would actually be. Uh, so, and who was given the mission to steal intel yes, from the First Order. Yes, yes. So there's got to be more that his character should have been capable of than what we're seeing in the first few yes. episodes here. And I understand that it's going to now be satisfying to watch him come of age, develop mm-hmm. those skills, distinguish himself as a pilot. But I just think that there was a more elegant way into the character than starting him as this sort of gibbering incompetent with daddy issues. But yeah. this is also you know, a 37 year old star Wars fanboy talking, not necessarily their core audience. Yeah. And, and, you know, back to what you said with Dave Filoni, it doesn't feel like a Dave Filoni character. You know, we were introduced mm. to, no, no, let, let me correct that. I, it feels like a Dave Filoni character in the same way that Ahsoka did, right? Like there's, yeah. there's definitely uh, a similarities in how Dave Filoni seems to want to craft a character as early in their development as possible. But in this case, the character is, you know, a, a different starting point. Yeah. Too. He, they didn't paint him clearly as an apprentice, you know, in right. search of a master, like they did with Ahsoka. You can start someone in a more childish, naive position like Ahsoka when that is the backstory. In this case, he's been in the army. I mean, he's been in the army, well, plain and, and simple. Seems- he should be serious minded. And it seems like that he's the leader of that that three-man yeah. crew at the beginning because he's the one giving them order. Like, no, we can't fall back. We can't retreat. We have to get this there uh, to the point where he tells him, okay, fine, you guys leave. I'll get the, <laughs> the intel to the resistance on my own right. plus distract this guy. That seems like, you know, that leadership position. When with Ahsoka, she is also, she had her own problems at the beginning of Clone Wars where she comes in uh, she's butting heads with Anakin because yeah, she she's thinks trying that, to assert herself. She thinks she's all exactly. that. She needs to learn the ways of the Jedi. <laughs> and then as she learns her ways, as she matures, she realizes like, oh, I can't do this because I almost got people killed and Anakin right. had to come and get me out of this hole. When with Kazuto, you, we don't have that. Like you say, he kind of, he starts off with being, you know, a leader and an assertive leader and then quickly devolves into something far less. And that really is my biggest critique of the show. And it's a forgivable one because it is targeted at kids and you can only expect so much, but I feel like it's very contradictory in a lot of ways. It seems like the characters tend to be whatever they need to be for that particular episode storyline, rather than being consistent to their own narrative, their own arc. Um, And hopefully that's something that they iron out just like clone wars. Yeah. A little bit of a shaky start in a lot of ways, but, I'm willing to give this a couple of seasons like I did with Clone Wars to watch mm-hmm. it mature, figure out what its real voice is and have it sort of stabilize into something, you know, far more competent. I feel like we're going to have to give this one a season two um, yeah. to, to really find its footing, uh, you know, similar with Rebels too. It, it got a lot more serious in tone as it went on as well. Mm-hmm. So if we begin to see that um, evolution towards a, a more competent portrait of these characters, that's a little bit more, uh, consistent and, and just, uh, you know, just maybe more satisfying than a character. Yeah. That's just whatever it, that's just incompetent in whatever new way the episode requires of him. That's what I would like to see them tighten up a little bit as they go. 
And I'm also curious to see how he got that first mission in the first place. <laughs> Maybe it was, you know, just he was in the right place at the right time. And they were like, okay, yeah, I get the intel. So maybe uh, maybe his crew was passing by something. I don't know. But it the way they make it seem is like it all came about by accident. If it seems we wanted, like that he is in his accidental place. Right. If we wanted to develop some headcanon for it, it really paints the picture that the resistance is so anemic and desperate for recruits that basically anyone that is willing to step up and do a job, they'll give a job to like Poe Dameron doesn't do a whole lot of vetting, you know, like, right. Hey kid, you know, you, you got a shot off on that tie slicer. I guess you're ready to be my star spy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like if we wanted to apologize for maybe what were some very convenient <laughs> moments of exposition and and plot momentum uh if we were to assume that there was something maybe a little bit more reasonable behind them we'd have to assume that maybe underneath the surface here poe dameron knows i don't got anyone else for the job this kid is here he's eager for it you know what if he blows himself up on the first day at least i you know threw someone at it you know that might be the kind of the more serious undercurrent that you could read into it if you wanted to, but the show certainly doesn't allude to that. They don't give any knowing glances between Leia and Poe or anything that would indicate that the, the desperation level has reached a fever pitch and they just need to take this kid on, even though he is not the right person for the job. You know, maybe if they'd had that conversation or developed that aspect of the rationale for giving him the spy gig, uh, then maybe it would make more sense, but they don't do that. They don't delve into why he has an X wing at the beginning or why Poe thinks that he can really handle this. So yeah, you can just draw whatever conclusions you want because they're not giving you that answer, at least not yet. Yeah. And some, one of the characters that I'm really interested in is Yeager. So, Mm -hmm. uh, he is kind of the mentor that Poe hands Kazuto off to and basically like, Hey, he's going to be doing some work for the resistance, help him, you know, lay low. Right. Uh, so Yeager, he, one of the things that I really liked is that Disney, whether they're doing this for promotional things or just doing it to kind of show the connection between uh, the two, you know, between the OG mm-hmm. uh, trilogy to the new one, but Yeager being a, you know, ex-Rebel pilot and kind of this, you know, the the lone cowboy who's kind of found his his saloon out out away from everything, but the resistance keeps finding its way back to him, kind of gives this show a Western feel where we find Yeager at this cantina, just kind of laying back and saying, you know, I left the rebellion where it belonged in the past. Right. Uh, So how do you think that this character is developing? What do you think that his, uh, how do you think he's going to develop? I think at this point he's serving his purpose, which is to, constantly be scolding the main character and reminding us of how green the main (laughs) character is. Uh, He's, he's a, he's a necessary person because he fills in all the gaps in Kaz's situation, right? Gives him a place to live, gives him a job, gives him cover. Uh, He's got ties to the rebellion. So that is the line of communication that we're going to be getting more intrigue, you know, from Mm Poe and stuff down the road. So, uh, you know, he's definitely serving a plot purpose as a character, yeah, he's he is the um sort of like stoic and curmudgeonly uh father figure with a heart of gold, right? Like he's yeah. not necessarily nice to Kaz, but he's gruff with purpose and at the end of the day he you know, he is looking out for him and he is, you know, going above and beyond to 
support him and, and help him to, you know, find his way into manhood. So he's definitely playing that, that mentor father role. Um, I like the character. I think it's yeah. as well drawn as any on the show at this point. The fact that he is tied into the rebellion and fought in the Battle of Jakku and had a family that we don't really know the outcome of because they've raised a lot of questions. I think that they're opening the door for them to be able to develop him further. So he may be the character yeah. that we initially get the most sort of like adult depth out of, which yeah. and, I and find he is and he is from the the planet that uh, the new Disneyland Park is going to be right based from uh so kind of them you know blending these two things together which i think is going to be interesting and depending on how this show develops in the next year by the time that uh this galaxy's edge is completed i wonder how much they are going to integrate um characters like yeager and kazuto in there uh so i'm just i'm really interested in exploring these uh, the outer rim, which I feel like the show is going to do a bit of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, starting off the first planet that we're introduced to is one that's, you know, kind of on galaxy's edge. That's uh, on the edge of the outer rim. And so I, I wonder uh, how, because that's what I feel like we haven't got enough of. Uh, we haven't explored the outer rim at all. And so I hope that either through resistance or through the Mandalorian that we really get to explore what's out there in the galaxy. Cause I feel like that we're, almost on repeat here like we got uh you know jakku which is a new planet but very similar to tattooing and uh we haven't really got you know crate it it was new i guess but it uh it felt a lot like hoth and the fact that it's this giant white planet that there are trenches that the rebels fought out of sure so yeah i i hope that they use yeager to kind of explore these these outer rim planets because i think that would be really um really neat but he he he's going to be the mentor of this show he's got this strict mentor mentality to the point where i i feel like he's kind of raising cause with this you know hey i'm not gonna i'm gonna help you out along the way but you know i'm not gonna dig you out of every hole that you get into sort of thing Mm, okay Um, like to the point where he's just like i could help you get out of the race but i'm not going to so instead i'm going to give you my ship that is not consistent enough for you to finish the race (laughs) so it's just uh he's got an interesting dynamic that i'm uh i think that i think he's got a bit of a darker past like i think that that he might be the the vehicle that gives you know that makes the tone a little bit more mature and in future episodes because do did he explicitly say what happened to his family no not yet we yeah, we only so, saw him glance at a photo right right so they're they're alluding to tragedy in his past which mm-hmm. is probably why he's maybe cut off and why it may be challenging for him to uh take on the mantle of father figure but i think the real arc here is he's going to continue to gain affection for Kaz and Mm -hmm. grow into that role of father or mentor. And in a way it's going to maybe help heal some old wounds of, you know, whatever tragedy ripped his family from him. So I think Mm -hmm. that's probably what the thinking is, is that he's just someone who's emotionally closed off. Who's going to have Mm -hmm. to grow a little bit and open himself up a little bit to really be able to connect and, send this boy off in the right direction to be able to, you know, help save the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. And it seems that he has kind of uh, adopted this character of Tam. So we have right. her, this, uh, this female character who 
is bitter towards Kaz because she or because he gets to fly the plane, um, you know, something that they've been working on that she has been promised will be hers once she finishes the fireball. And right. and, um, and it seems and the way I'm picking up on it is that Yeager is intentionally stalling her from mm. from getting there, whether it's, you know, either <laughs> whether it's him like keeping her out of a race or. <laughs> maybe even keeping her from leaving i don't know i uh, i i think i think you're reading into it a little bit here because we got to remember all of these characters fundamentally have to resonate with younger viewers yeah, all i see true. with tam is you know what if kaz is going to be yeager's adopted son so to speak working in the yep. shop you know being groomed well guess what? He's got a stepsister, you know, mm -hmm. and they're going to butt heads and she's going to be jealous and resentful of this new kid coming in and kind of getting Yeager's attention. Um, you can tell that Yeager took her in, you know, they allude to him saying, well, I gave you a chance or whatever. So she was probably a wayward youth that needed a mentor mm -hmm. too. So she probably looks to him uh, for that kind of uh, stability as well. And so you bring in this Kaz, who's just chaos to her world. I see that being more of a, family dynamic that's going to yeah. bring out drama over time. I don't really see it being anything where there's any like genuine subterfuge or Yeager somehow, you know, m manipulating her or, you know, maybe just sort of like jealously keeping her from spreading her wings. Or I just don't think that there's anything yeah. more under the surface with Yeager. I think it's just really there to create some tension between these de facto mm -hmm. siblings that now have to get along in the shop and learn to appreciate yeah. each other's strengths. And and I'm definitely building us off of that moment where he's staring at his picture mm -hmm. of his family to where I'm thinking that I, he might be afraid to lose, you know, this this other person that has become part of his family. Uh, so, of course, that is purely speculation. Mm -hmm. uh, but I uh, I'm I'm waiting for her to become more important. Sure. Because she hasn't had a lot to do yet. And given it's only the first four episodes, but uh she just is kind of serving as the one that that provides that brother sister argument mm -hmm. for Kaz and uh, kind of, you know, getting mad and storming off in different spots of the show. Uh, so her, I, I think she's going to develop into a far more important character because that's kind of how the show has been advertised. It's been advertised as Kaz and his flyboys, right? And right. I think that she's going to turn into into one of his uh, into one of his wingmen. And depending on where they go in season one, will determine how much she has to do. Yeah, uh, because because I I still don't know where they're going in season one yet. Yeah, no, um, it it looks like they're setting themselves up for a show that has a lot of like procedural qualities, you know, like where week over week, there can always be like a different controversy or a different race or just mm -hmm. something that can help fill in 22 episodes, but they're slowly laying the groundwork for the behind the scenes right. uh, intrigue surrounding the first order. So we know that eventually the show is going to tip and start mm -hmm. veering more towards the serialized story right. as things in the galaxy start to actually ramp up. But we know that where we're starting today is still about six months away from when Hosnian Prime gets blown up. So yeah. we've got a little bit of downtime just to figure out the characters, have fun on the station, fend off pirates, soup up our ships. Like, I think most of season one is going to 
essentially be that just letting the characters yeah. butt heads and figure out who they are, get us all acquainted with the world. And I figure that by the end of season one, that's probably when something very dramatic is going to happen. They showed Starkiller base. We know what we're driving yep. towards. I have a feeling that they're really going to want to leave the season on a high note to draw people back mm-hmm. in for season two and show that, okay, now we know the world season two is where we're really going to start having some fun where, yep. You know, these ships that have been souped up for speed, all of a sudden we need to repurpose them for some like serious, you know, yeah, uh, galaxy saving missions. Uh, hopefully that's kind of the trajectory. So all of these characters, I just see them being pretty much, you know, blank canvases at this point. They they gave them all their initial motivation and, and their starting point. But at this point, there's no reason really speculating on where to go with them because I think the show is going to explore that as they go. And I don't even think the show really knows. I think the show just right. understands where they're starting from as well. And they're just going to let, you know, the story mm-hmm. unfold as it unfolds. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that the next thing is the show does is, is providing ways to get children or the younger audience invested. And, sure. you know, this is why Niku has his, uh, his lines that he has every five minutes, like mm-hmm. taking things very literally, uh, you know, his first, um, you know, his first line is hello, Kazudu, best fighter in the galaxy. <laughs> and then when Poe says, yeah, he's going to be hanging around here for a while from what exactly will he be hanging? Right. So, uh, I think that the, that the show has, there hasn't been any deception and, uh, the, the show has been very clear at what they are doing and what they're about so far. Every yes. episode has, has maintained the same thing. There has been the different levels of risk, uh, with both the, you know, the race and when the, the pirates come and start raiding the, the planet. So, yeah, I think that that, I think that, I think they have an idea as to where they're going, but uh, like as far as long term, like I think they're like I think by you know this time period they want to get to point B, but right now I think they're getting people invested. I think they're, I think they are themselves figuring out who who their audience is actually going to be because whenever you go into a show you're like this is what we want it to be, and this is what we're gearing it towards. But I think their first uh, their first season is going to determine right. where they go with the show. Like this is the audience we got. This is what we have to do to move forward. Um, so yeah, any yeah. good, any good executive producer is going to have a clear vision of what he wants, but he's not going to be so rigid and closed off to ideas that he won't evolve the show mm-hmm. based on what turns out to be working in the real world, right? Yeah. Like you can put it down on paper and think that you've got a winning formula for a show, but it's not till you put it out there and you just see right. how it hits and you start seeing you know what your team comes up with. Cause now once mm-hmm. the production ramps up, then they start feeding back ideas and just seeing the world realize starts to fire off new, uh, creative, you know, expressions in the writers and, and in, you know, throughout the whole production. So it starts to take on a life of its own after a little while. And a good EP is going to embrace that and let that infuse the show with a life and kind of a, a tone that maybe they, they didn't even initially assume that it was capable of. That's what we saw with rebels. That's what we saw with clone wars. It took them a solid season, maybe two, to really fine tune and figure out what those shows were. I'm willing to do the same here by the end of the season. I want to feel like it's very steady and self-assured about where they want to go with season two. And if it gives me that, then I'll definitely be back for season two. Yeah. And, and I think that all fans need to give the show a 
a chance sure. just based on, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to what they're going to explore, uh, what characters we're going to get um, more into. One of the biggest criticisms from this new trilogy, uh, from the new era of trilogies, was that we have this character of Captain Phasma who hasn't <laughs> really had a lot to do. Right. And I, you know, of course, in Resistance, she's being voiced by Gwendolyn Christie, which I don't know how many episodes she's going to be. Uh, you know, in animation for, but there is potential of them really exploring as to what she's actually doing before the force awakens. And even during that timeline that I am interested in that, oh, yeah. you know, in episode two, when they showed her talking to those pirates, I'm like, Oh, so she's going to have a bigger part. Um, at least, at least she's going to have a good chunk of one episode. I think that, that we're going to see her. Oh um, yeah. At least I have a feeling that least. she's going to get, more screen time in resistance than she could have ever hoped yeah. for in the movies. Um, I see her being kind of like the Dooku of this series. Yeah. Like she's the, the agent that the first order is going to put out to, uh, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. push their agenda forward as they're trying to, uh, get their tentacles into the Republic. Uh, yeah. so I see her being kind of the, whatever the, the one in the shadows orchestrating mm-hmm. things. And we see that, right. We already saw her uh, being the one to recruit the pirates and to try and, you know, stir the pot <laughs> uh, on the platform. I can't even remember the Colossus. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we already know that, you know, she was given a mission uh, and yeah. she recruited pirates for that. So this isn't going to be the last mission she has. She's a likable character with a cool outfit mm-hmm. that sells toys. Uh, yep. Gwendolyn Christie is a team player. Like she's always happy to come back and reprise right. the role. She's probably the coolest thing that the first order has going for it aside from Kylo Ren. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to see a lot of her. They, they couldn't even yeah. figure out how to cut BB eight out of this. You know, like they, they, they were looking mm-hmm. at the show and they said, how can we just make this more cute and fun and cuddly for kids? And they realized, Oh yeah, that's right. Kids love BB eight. Let's just figure out how to mm-hmm. leave them on Colossus. There's no yeah. reason why he needs to be there, but kids love him. Let's get him in the show. Right. It's going to be the same with Phasma. And there's no reason for him not to be there either. And so sure. they had this opportunity. Yeah, they to have six months they, they, of ambiguity exactly. that BB-8 can be milling about for. Uh, yeah, so he's there, you know, at least until uh, the resistance has to ramp up. Yeah, and so I, I'm kind of let's kind of get into speculation here. Okay, what do you think Captain Phasma? What do you think her goal was? Like with, we kind of have an idea. So uh, with leading that team of pirates, um. Okay, so here's where I wish I'd made some notes because I remember I only was able to watch the second, the last two episodes once, the first two mm-hmm. or the the extended yeah, premiere. Yeah. I was able to watch twice, um, but it seemed like when they had to then report back and they laid the blame on the Nemoidian who you know mm-hmm. dropped the communicator. Um, it seemed like they painted a pretty clear picture of what they were trying to do: uh, destabilize it. Uh, dethrone the the leader i can't remember what the overall mission was but it wasn't just simply to raid it and get you know supplies there was some MacGuffin. there was some reason that phasma was interested in the station Mm -hmm. but i didn't make a note on it and now for the life of me i can't remember what it was yeah Uh, so part of me is thinking that her main goal was she like we know that she wants the system or not the system but or she probably wants the whole system uh but she specifically wants this outpost because uh, one yes use it as a fueling station for the first right. order yep. which is convenient and that's not out of the ordinary for the first order and even you know back when the um the empire was running things not uncommon for them to <laughs> do sure 
Yeah, and so I think that that's, I think this is where she's going to really play into this. Um, I think the pirates are going to keep failing. I think that as Kazuto is building as a character, he's going to start recruiting uh, more of those racers to be, you know, the protectors of this, um, of this, you know, uh, fueling station to the point where she is going to, you know, she's going to send that red pie slicer. He's coming back. Uh, And even I think she's going to show up on this, uh, yeah. on this fueling station to try to try to get something. So I think that they have a decent, um, episode arc with her at the center of her kind of calling the shots, giving her some things to do, uh, which can be interesting. So with that, do you think that we are going to see an, uh, an FN two one eight seven? Uh, I don't think so. I don't know. Cause his first, his first mission technically like, you know, combat mission was, the Jakku mission. Right. But he um, also made it clear that he was basically on janitorial duty on Starkiller base. And so, you know, like, could he be in the background somewhere? Sure. But we knew, the, we know that he's never fired a weapon. So there's nothing exciting that he'll be doing. Yeah. If they threw him in, it would be purely as an Easter egg for the fans. And, and I think it's going to be a bit of a, I, cause I think at some point we're getting on to Starkiller base mm-hmm. or, um, and so I think that what's going to happen is we're going to see him like mopping the floors or something. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, yeah, he could be, you know, in the background with a, a gonk or a yep. mouse droid or something, just doing some repairs or something, you know, like out of the spotlight. I don't think that he's going to have a storyline, no. at least not in the first season. As we get closer to the events of The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. maybe you start to see some chinks in the armor. Like maybe you see some situations where he's getting berated by yep. uh, Phasma and he's just starting to like get uneasy with this whole first order thing that yeah. used to be just about you know, a a strong government and, you know, Mm -hmm. like the first order hadn't really oppressed anyone Anyone, until they really ramp up the the Starkiller base and really make their big move. So he didn't have any reason to really question it. It was just an authoritarian government. He knew no better. Um, But maybe as they're ramping up towards the big move, maybe he sees more sort of like machinations Mm -hmm. and just more questionable decisions being made that starts to get the gears turning. Maybe there'll be some storyline about that, but I think that might be a little too subtle and a little too yeah. mature for the audiences. So I bet that the first right. time we see Finn is still going to be Force Awakens because that's really where yes. his story begins. Yeah, and I think that, you know, maybe, you know, they can't really work anything out um, at least until after episode nine drops. And if Resistance is going on, you know, beyond that storyline, there's not really much you can do with the character of Finn because he, you know, the, the between the last Jedi and, or between the force awakens and the last Jedi, you know, it's moments. It's not even, uh, there's not even enough time to, for us to, to you know, he's kind of in a controlled coma mm-hmm. that time period. So you can't be like, Oh yeah. In between episodes, you yeah. know, seven and eight, he was doing his own thing, you know, and ran into Kazuto. But I think it would be fun to just kind of see, you know, whether they're like sneaking around and they're trying to get past the stormtrooper and he's mopping the floor and then you hear someone call out FN 2187 and he walks away. And, yeah, and that's um, that's the extent that we would see him. Like I was thinking maybe there's a locker room scene because you need an excuse yeah. to have the TIE fighter or the TIE fighter. You'd need an excuse for the stormtroopers to have their helmets off for it even to matter that it's him. Right. Uh so yeah, my my hunch is if we see anything, it's purely this like background cameo kind of mm-hmm. situation. Or like an intercom, yeah, like report yeah. for duty or whatever. Yep. Yeah, I think I think that's I think we are probably going to get something like that. Sure. Uh, just to kind of be like that little Easter egg for fans to 
chuckle at. Well, you, if, um, if he shows up, you get bragging rights because that wasn't even on my radar. It yeah. didn't occur to me that <laughs> anyone would have any interest in seeing a prelude to his story. But you know yeah. what? It's Star Wars. They're not above Easter eggs. Right. <laughs> and and I, I love it when they do something like that because I was even thinking as I was watching the show, I'm like, oh, you know what would be funny if they do yeah. this? Yeah. Um, and the same thing with... I, I There's some controversy with the character of Rose, right? Like mm -hmm. people are having difficulty accepting her into the lore of star Wars. And it's a very small group yeah. of people. Let's, let's um, make sure that we keep some perspective. Yes. It's, on it's the... a very small group of people that are, that have their criticism right. to the point where it's like, get Rose out of there. Um, it's not a huge portion of people that legitimately hate Rose. Mm -hmm. um, there are some criticisms with whether or not she had something really to do in the last Jedi. But I think that we have a chance where we see her and her sisters mm. or her sister in this show. There you go. Cause um, she's kind of which, a mechanic type that yeah. there's some overlap there. And, and her sister, we know her sister was doing something that she was important to the point that they had her on hey. one of the bombing ships. See, now, and so, now this is a theory I can get on board with. Cause that's perfect. And the more you develop their backstory, the better. And you know what? This show yeah. even has, not to, you know, overgeneralize, but it has kind of an Asian flair to it, right. right? Not that Rose's character has anything to do with her being Asian. It just, for whatever reason, this show has that feel even just in the mm -hmm. character names and just, you know, just the, right. the look of the show. So if maybe for whatever reason, those characters, mm -hmm. if, you know, if they just happen to be passing through on resistance business and, and they, they fit into one of the, uh, uh, whatever one of the the intrigues yeah. that are going on in Colossus yeah that totally could work organically without it feeling shoehorned yeah. yeah and and I think I think we're gonna get um I think we're gonna get some of that I think we're gonna get a I think a couple maybe it's a two or three episode arc where Rose is present on the show mm -hmm. um I think that would be cool I think it would be fun and I think it gives the character of Rose and um I can't remember the actress's name but it gives her an opportunity to expand more on her character. It's Kelly Marie because, Tran. Just yeah. For yep. Kelly Marie <laughs> Tran. That's right. Uh, and it gives Kelly an opportunity to show fans sure. how much this character means because yeah. uh, it, it's very intentional. Like Ryan Johnson created this character intentionally and gave her some depth that was, you know, whether or not you received it the way you, you were supposed to, <laughs> but uh, I think that it gives an opportunity to kind of, you know, be the, not the similar, not the same as Ahsoka, but, you know, people hated Ahsoka at first, right? Mm -hmm. Like people, we had this conversation where people did not receive that character very well. And so maybe this is an opportunity to build up for, uh, for episode nine, give us some more of Rose and her sister, show us that dynamic. Um, and I think that that would make the last Jedi more impactful yep. when we see Rose crying, uh, <clears throat> when she meets Finn and, sure. So I think I think that. Do you think that that Kazuto is going to have anything to do with Poe getting to Jakku? No, no, nope. yeah. I don't. I don't think that Poe is going to be hamstrung in any way by Kaz. He's too competent, mm -hmm. and yep. you know he he's too focused. You know he they they show him as uh, cocky, but he can back it up. So I don't yeah. think that any amount of bumbling on Kaz's part is going to make or break any Poe mission ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think more than anything, Kaz is going to just sort of be an annoyance, you know, like mm -hmm. Poe needs something from Kaz and just Kaz is going to yeah. struggle to be able to deliver. Um, yep. But I want to just put a bookend on the Rose stuff because mm -hmm. I think, I think you really just touched on something cool there. And if the show explores it, I think that's really great. 
Star Wars animation has a bit of a reputation for being able to rehabilitate characters when they don't yeah. connect with fans and just add depth to characters that can help you to um, better appreciate the movies. Even though mm-hmm. I never think that there should be any required viewing for a Star Wars movie other than just the movie itself. Right. You can't deny that if you've watched the Clone Wars and then you go back and watch the prequels, a lot of stuff makes more sense. A lot of decision-making seems more in line with the character because especially like in the case of Anakin, you have a much clearer picture Mm -hmm. of who he is, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are and where his earnestness lies. And you don't get a whole lot of that in the movies themselves. Mm -hmm. You need that, you know, a hundred hours of clone wars to really make that character flourish. So yeah, if they can do a little bit of rehabilitation, not that I personally feel that Rose needs it. I think the decisions that she made in last Jedi, Mm -hmm. (laughs) some of them are a little foolhardy, like, you know, crashing your ship into someone else's ship. Um, I'll never understand quite how that was the best expression of love, but Hey, that's just, you know, one of my, my personal quibbles, but the character itself, I never had any problem with her as a character and just being, you know, gung ho and a hundred percent in on the resistance. I Uh I love that, you know, like all the more so because she's had to sacrifice family and, and yeah, you know, she's lost so much that of course she's going to be all in on the cause. I love the character. So I have no problem that way, Mm -hmm. but for anyone that feels like they need more to understand what Rose is all about, give it to them by all means. It can only be a net win to give people more Rose to help humanize and flesh out the character for anyone that struggles with it. So, Hey, there, if you're listening and haven't thought of it, star Wars resistance production team. Yeah. We'll, we'll just hand that one to you. That's a freebie. Just go nuts with that. Well, even (laughs) because we we obviously have come up with anything. The story group hasn't already mulled over. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Uh, And the more I watch the last Jedi, the more I am intrigued by her sister. So by Rose's sister at the very beginning. Uh, So there's, she doesn't even say anything in that entire scene, but we see that, you know, she gives her life for the better of the uh, of yep. the resistance. Uh, and so I think that it would be just really um, interesting to take that opportunity. I, w- I didn't love Rose, but that mm-hmm. was more so based on my opinion. I didn't feel like she had anything really to do sure. because her whole mission was undone within 15 seconds. <laughs> uh, but I was always just like, I would like to see more of her and her family add some more of that dynamic. And so I think, I think that they are going to do that. Um, yeah, that would be cool. I think, I think that that's, that's on their radar, and I think that they're going to try to fit that in. Um, I don't know if it will be in season one, but that would be an interesting you know, season one finale when the stakes are the highest for the resistance that they run into. Sure. Um, that they run into these guys. So I, I, I hope they do that, and I think they are. I think that's, I think that's going to happen. Um, if I had to say over-under, I would say it's, it's over 85% <laughs> that that is going to happen. If it happens, I would be on board with it. I think that would be a cool organic thing you could work in to help tie it mm-hmm. into the lore that's already established without it feeling too shoehorned. Like BB-8 yeah. feels a little shoehorned, but right. seeing Rose and her sister, that would seem right. So I'm good with that. And and I think that, you know, of course, BB-8 is like you said, it's the what do kids love? They <laughs> yes. love BB-8. And so I think that I think BB-8's time obviously is limited for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to be and throughout season one. I think season one is going to end getting closer to The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the typical timeline for TV shows is about six months, six to nine months. And so it could very well turn into a thing to where 
season one finale, Poe shows up. Hey, I'm going to need my droid back. Sure. And yeah. and so I think in that time, they're going to test out which which character is going to attract that that younger audience um, in the form of BB-8. I'm thinking that uh, that Nico was supposed to be that, mm-hmm. and so I need to I need to talk to some some of the younger audience and see how Nico has been received by them. But he seems like that he would be well received. Like he, he made me laugh. And so I know that if he make me, if he made me laugh, then he's probably making, you know, the younger audience laugh. And it wasn't, it wasn't like any mature humor that was trying to get the older audience in. It was very, you know, stuff that people could easily understand. Like if you are older than five, you can understand what you know that oh he's taking that literally right uh and and see the comedy there so yep yeah uh so i think that 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 about does it for my end as far as my speculations for uh star wars resistance i think that you know we're gonna see more of the force awakens awakens crossover stuff Mm -hmm. uh my last question for you in speculation what are the chances we see kylo ren oh it's done. It wasn't he in the trailer? Was he? I was not paying attention. Oh, I, so I kind of stayed away from a lot of either the they material. Sh- either they showed him in the trailer or someone like mentions him by name in the trailer, like Kylo Ren's coming or something like that. Yeah. Oh, you okay, know, no, gotcha. no, I know what it is. It's his shuttle, you know, his, that's right. His like Tidarian style tri-wing shuttle. Um, mm-hmm. that makes an I, appearance yes, in the I trailer. Do remember that. So yes, uh, Kylo Ren is definitely in the mix and it makes sense. If this is a strategic asset, to the first order and they mm-hmm. need to have it locked down in order to move forward with their plans, then it makes sense that as the, the heat ramps up or, you know, as things ratchet up that we're going to start seeing more and more intervention from the first order. And that's going to mean what Phasma are, and that's going to mean Kylo Ren. What are the chances that Yeager flew with Luke? Uh, pretty good. Cause he was obviously right? a pilot within a few years of the battle of Endor. So, and he, and he was on the battle of, uh, so was Luke, where was Luke during the battle of, yeah, so we know he was there in Endor, but what about the battle of Jakku? Luke was already off doing his own thing, wasn't okay. he? Okay, I think so. Um, so I'm wondering, what if, because we know that Kylo Ren is kind of this ancient force fanboy. Sure. What if Yeager was given something by Luke to <laughs> keep safe? I know I'm stretching. I'm reaching here. Well, it's but, no more of a reach than some fantastical map that nobody in the galaxy has, except for uh, uh, what's his face, uh, uh, Merciless Ming on Jakku yeah. at the beginning of Force Awakens. It's like if they need a MacGuffin, they'll come up with a MacGuffin. Mm-hmm. That's not a problem yeah, at all and, in Star Wars. And, <laughs> and if you're if you're up to date with you know Star Wars Battlefront, we know that Luke was off doing his own thing, collecting artifacts. Yeah. Um, both to kind of understand to help build his. Uh, his own Jedi Council, but also to keep out of the hands because he had, he began sensing that, you know, if there's always a light side, there's always a dark. I yeah. can end the Sith, but the dark side's going to be there. And so I think that, I think it's possible that Luke gave something to Yeager. <laughs> and that's the real reason that Captain Phasma no. wants. No, uh, <laughs> no, it's it's a fuel outpost. It's best been on water. There's no, yes. you, they don't need to contrive something that crazy for the first order to be interested in it. It's on the edge of the galaxy. Yeah. The first order is going to be spilling over the edge of the galaxy. The first order is going to just trample this place in their pursuit of the Republic. So, you know, they're just going to be on the the forefront. They're going to be like the, the first battle line, 
so to speak, as the first order begins to intrude into the Republic. That's, I think that's all you need. I don't think you need right. uh, a mystical Sith relic or <laughs> Jedi relic. But I, I would just love if Yeager has something and Kylo Ren is kind of like coming after him and, you know, figures sen- he, either he senses it or he, yeah. uh, you know what Yeager has, Yeager has wisdom and stories to tell that possibly could involve Right. Luke Skywalker, right? Like when he's sitting down with Kaz and maybe expounding, look, this is bigger than you realize. This is yeah. serious. I've seen how this goes down. You know, this is life or death. And, you know, there's a there's a, a bigger fabric to our mm-hmm. universe. And I've seen it firsthand. You know, right. that might be the story that gets conveyed through Yeager because of his experiences with the rebellion. But I don't think that they need yeah. to dig deep on <laughs> relics and all that kind of stuff. I think that's a different show, a different story. Right. What if Kylo Ren is responsible for either whatever whatever has happened to Yeager's family, whether they've been executed or maybe Yeager, you know, hid them to keep <laughs> them safe because he has some sort of knowledge, like you said. So maybe I, I just like digging into some of these things. Well, and, I don't think Yeager has uh, knowledge so much as just experience of like, hey, kid, mm-hmm. like this is a serious game. Stop stop being right. a brat and realize that this is going to get real very quick and mm-hmm. you need to be a man. Like, and I think that if anything, if he's going to convey a story from his time in the rebellion, he may talk about Luke Skywalker, you know, this, this boy that yeah. joined him in the rebellion, uh, mm-hmm. you know, starfighter team, whichever, you know, right. <laughs> team they were on, uh, who, you know, toppled the emperor because he could pull his crap together when, when the time came, like maybe there's a story there or a lesson there, but that's, that's as much as I think they're going to overlap yeah. with rebellion timeframe stuff. But as far as, you know, maybe Kylo Ren having something to do with the, the tragedy of Yeager's family. Hey, it's all a possibility, right? Like yeah. it, it's not out of the realm of possibility at all. Like it, it, they can do whatever they want at this point. And that's the nice thing about starting fresh and having everything be a blank slate is that you can just color it in whatever feels right at the time. And as they come up with storylines, begin connecting the dots, they may find really cool ways to insert yeah. characters from the the broader galaxy. And if they do it in an elegant way, like we've seen them be able to do, especially in mm-hmm. rebels, I, th- I think the way that they handled Obi-Wan and rebels was really classy. Like, I think that that was a really fitting uh, way to bring him in without overusing him, but also just, make his purpose important. I feel like they could do something similar. And if they bring in characters in that way and have them do something substantial at the right time. Great. Yeah. And I am always going to be someone that just speculates. (laughs) Um, And I'm not going to speculate for the sake of speculating. Like these are like some major fanboys. Like I want (laughs) to see something like this happen sort of stuff. Um, I, I my biggest thing that I I think my favorite thing about Star Wars is I love this the mysticism behind everything. And okay. so I think they I think they're going to find aspects of that to play in here. I I'm not, you know, really like betting on like oh Kylo Ren's going to show up cuz Yeager's hiding some, you know, Sith relic that <laughs> Sidious gave to Luke and Luke gave to Yeager sort of crap. But I think that uh that it would just be nice to see some some of that come back uh i feel like that in some of these properties where uh that that's like i love all the properties there hasn't been a single star wars property that we've gotten in the past 10 years that i hate mm-hmm. like so i want to be very clear on that there's nothing in star wars that i hate but there have been times where i feel like that we've um 
kind of been missing out on some of the mysticism behind everything. Sure. Uh, I think that, I think episode nine is going to pick right up with it and go like full flown, um, like back into the mystic things of the Jedi and of the Sith and uh, the dark and the light. But I, I just, you know, the more I get it, the more I love it. And I love to speculate. And so if our listeners like to speculate, they can send us their speculations at Star Wars TV talk at gmail.com. But, you know, do you have anything else for, for us, John? Not really. Um, I like speculation too. My only caveat is speculate all you want, but don't get your hopes up. Because when right. your speculation turns into expectation, it's dangerous. Because right. then you get yeah. a situation like with The Last Jedi where people had 30 years of playing with their Luke Skywalker yeah. action figure to decide how they wanted to see his story unfold. Mm -hmm. And when you finally show it on screen, it doesn't line up with the speculation. And all right. of a sudden people are disappointed. So, hey, have fun with it. Yep. And some, well, and occasionally when you do see it come out on the screen, then it's an extra little treat just for you because you realize someone mm -hmm. over at Lucasfilm was kind of like thinking in the same terms yeah. as you, there was some simpatico there and that's fun. Just never get your hopes up. Let them right. tell the story that they're intent on telling and go for the ride because that's yeah. way more satisfying well, than feeling like you need to steer. And I think that is the biggest problem with the last Jedi people kept building up how they thought Luke lived his life. Including like Mark That Hamill. was the biggest thing. <laughs> yes, even him. Like, everyone was thinking, oh, yeah, he's off doing this. He's doing yeah. this amazing stuff. And even when Force Awakens came out, at the end of that, everyone was like, oh, in episode eight or nine, we're going to see Luke fight Snoke, and it's going to mm -hmm. be this incredible yep, lightsaber Ren's bringing battle. bringing the Knights of Ren to the island, and, <laughs> and they're going to just blow it up, and it's going to be glorious. And, yeah, and even no, in the trailer. They yeah. had it all figured out. He, even in the trailer, they showed Ray running with a lightsaber. Ooh, what is she running to? She's running to fight the Knights of Ren right, because right. they're starting to attack Luke. And all this sort of stuff happened. And then when it didn't, everyone was just like, well, that's not what I expected at all. Yep. How could Luke be living that way? Um, and so, yes, of course, speculate all you want. Have the freedom to speculate. But don't speculate to the point where it's like, it has to be this way or I'm going to hate it. Yeah, don't ruin the potential enjoyment of a movie mm -hmm. over yeah. a fantasy, you know, that only exists yes. in your head. Star Wars is meant to spark our imaginations. And it is something that you are supposed to play with. Get an mm -hmm. action figure, you know, get some Lego and tell your stories all day long. But when you go into the movie theater or when you turn on the television, buckle up and enjoy someone else's story and just take it on yep. their terms. And you'll find out that, Hey, they're pretty good at telling stories when you let them. It's only yep. when you feel like, you know, you know, better that you dis you get disappointed. So, uh, yeah, we, I mean, we, we harp a lot on all the craziness of the last six months, uh, six months, nine months now since 10 months. Wow. been 10 minutes. Over yeah. 10 months since Last Jedi came out. Uh, you know, we've we've had lots to say about it. Uh, but yeah, the bottom line is people can have a lot of fun with this stuff if they just take it for what it is and not try and make more of it than it is to. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so the, that's and all the I biggest <laughs> thing, the biggest thing that I want to leave listeners with is sure. that in 2008, so 10 years ago, even in 2010, 2011, we thought that we were done with the mm -hmm. majority of our Star Wars properties. Like we had, uh, we had uh, the Clone Wars going around, but even by that time, it was approaching. Yeah, the you, end. you knew that you maybe had um, two seasons left, and that was going to be it for Clone Wars. Right, and and now we have Disney, the Goliath of a company that purchases out uh, the Star Wars company. They keep Kathleen Kennedy in charge, which is you know, 
step one because that's the company that George Lucas, when he was stepping away from, like he just kind of gave her, uh, gave it over to her. And so when Disney bought it out, they were just like, yeah, we're keeping Kathleen Kennedy over this property. Um, and they've come out, you know, I never would have thought that we would see a Han Solo film. I just, sure. that was not in my uh, wildest dreams. Um, I never thought that we would get uh, anything else. I, I honestly thought that we were going to be done. Um, I thought that maybe the chances of us getting a new Star Wars film would be after George Lucas has passed away right. and his kids started making them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I that's all that I thought. I did not see any of this coming. And so I think we as fans need, you know, we we don't need to be like uh you know that dudley kid from harry potter who wakes up and has 27 <laughs> presents and like last year i had 27 i want 28 mm-hmm. you know we're getting a lot of material that's great and i uh, i encourage our listeners to love star wars for what it is and to continue to watch the properties and to understand that not everything is going to be geared towards you yeah yep well put just ask yourself hey would you rather no more Star Wars or would you rather the Star Wars that they're going to make with or without your opinion, right? Like ultimately right. they're going to make the movies that they feel are best to make and that mm-hmm. make sense because someone has to finance them and someone has to bring these to fruition. It has to be someone's creative vision and it isn't going to be any of ours. Right. We just don't have what it takes to, to actually pull off a star Wars movie. So unless you are a sought after director who might actually have the ear of Kathleen Kennedy or Bob Iger, um, you don't have a say in it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> figure out how to enjoy it for what it is. And, uh, yeah, just let the rest of it fall into place and you might just find out that it's kind of fun. It's a lot of fun. I honestly yeah. haven't really been disappointed yet. Even Solo, you know, which so many people just felt just didn't get there. It's just kind of boring or just didn't go far enough for a Star Wars movie. To me, it was still perfectly fun. I would much yeah. rather, you know, get the cool visual of a Star Destroyer being uh, assembled above Corellia, like just that's now a picture in my head that can now be part of my imagination and my head canon for my future uh Star Wars fantasy adventure. So, like every movie can give you something of value if you're just willing to take it. And uh yeah, I I don't I've never been able to understand where uh where all of the angst comes from uh watching Disney put out billion dollar blockbusters and trying to make the best movies they can. Like why <laughs> why so much vitriol for something that we've all been clamoring for and begging for for so long uh yeah doesn't need to be that way have fun with it right. <laughs> i think we've yep. uh, definitely uh driven that point into the ground so i'm gonna shut up and let you do your outro <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for listening to the show if you have any feedback you can email us at star wars tv talk at gmail.com If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Are the people going to die? Please leave us a review on iTunes. For every 10, we give away some awesome Star Wars merchandise. And you can find us on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Star Wars TV Talk. You can also check out our website, www.StarWarsTVTalk.com. And a special thanks to Laid Wogan for this intro and outro music. You can follow him on SoundCloud.com slash 
Lade Wogan. Thanks for listening, and remember, the Force will be with you. Always.